Forbidden to remember, terrified to forget, it was a hard line to walk. From Twilight, New Moon, by Stephanie Myers. He's kind of crazy, she's a little insane. Keeping energy really messes with his brain. One is divorced, the other's husband is dead. That's why it's so messed up in the head. It's a Silver Linings Playcast. Oh yeah. Hello everybody, and welcome to the Silver Linings Playcast. As far as I know, the only podcast solely devoted to talking about Silver Linings Playbook, the movie, and the Silver Linings Playbook, the book. I'm your host, Jamie Ward. We're here. We're here for another week. So... That uh, that quote from the beginning was from the second the second Twilight book, pre based on the movie, meaning that the movies were based on the book. Uh, you know, we like talking about books and movies. Um, I've been <laughs> oh, what a week! What a week. I had a talk with one of my friends recently uh, who was just started listening to this. Hey, Nick, if you're listening, he's been a former guest on here twice. We want to make sure to have him back on, but he's been really busy picking up multiple jobs uh, lately. Anyway, he was making some kind of interesting, deep thoughts about about this podcast, he told me that uh, he thought it was kind of interesting that it was becoming what it needs to be as I break down slowly over these episodes, basically saying that it's not about Silver Linings Playbook and that maybe that's the most Silver Linings Playbook thing it could possibly be. Is that what you were saying? I don't know. I don't remember. Uh, If anybody has been following, which I hope you haven't, because I'm just the depressed boy recording a podcast on the internet for nothing and the 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 best value that this podcast creates for anything in the whole world is probably just myself it helps myself and when i say helps i mean only the tiniest tiniest bit right It's basically become like journaling, except for my absolute favorite part about it was the, the, I think it was like a seven to 10 week run where we were doing Silver Linings Playbook fan fiction. And we definitely are going to get back to that eventually when I start being able to write again. I haven't been writing I haven't been doing anything. I've been in bed for about two weeks straight, maybe longer. I don't know how I, I didn't hop straight in bed when the depression started. Um, I couldn't, I had a lot of work to do. Here's the crazy thing. I still do my work except for podcasting enthusiastically. I say that, though, like I'm here. I'm trying, and I didn't concede to do not a not an episode episode. So we're going to try to never do that again. No promises. That's me knocking on wood. Particle board. I hope that counts as wood. I want to tell you where I've gotten to in my depression. One, I think I've talked in the past about how I don't even, like, believe... In depression. I, w- I want to say that, like, I'm not believing it's not a thing. I'm not believing that people experience it or suffer it. It's just not, I, it doesn't matter. It's just the word that I use jokingly. I've never, here's the thing. I don't think I've ever in all seriousness ever said that I've had depression. I say it a lot. I'm always joking. Do I? Maybe. Here's the thing. I, I, we've covered before. I don't care. It doesn't matter. The only reason I use that phrase is that I'm trying to go off a stereotype, a character, um, an archetype, archetype. I forget. We figured out what word that was eventually uh, one time, but I've, I've forgotten. Let's, let's talk about like a character, right? Like if you talk about 
the hero's journey. If you talk about uh, the fool, a foil, an antagonist, a love interest, an ingenue, like all these things, they evoke an understanding of what a character is going to be before you know a single thing about that kind of character. Uh, Han Solo, Harrison Ford in the Star Wars movies, you know, described as a dashing, brash, rogue type, right? If you've never seen the movies, you can understand a little bit about what, if it, what motivates him and his, you know, his character and what his arc will be in, in his journey based on the character type. That's why I use a word that is very common and popular. I think everybody might have depression. That's one of the reasons why I don't find it helpful to even use the word. What's the good? I'm a millennial. If I'm talking to another millennial, do I, do I need to say that I'm depressed? No, it should just be assumed. It's a character trick. And, and also, if you hear... In the background, there's a bunch of fireworks going off. I actually had to re-record the first couple, the intro to this second time, because I thought that, uh, well, I didn't realize it was fireworks. Anyway, what we were talking about is like that, that, um, we, we talk about mental health in this way of like, oh, I have these problems. I have these ailments. Uh, you know, I have, here's, here's my, my take on all of this. Though, uh, pretty much almost all of us do. Now I'm exaggerating. All of us do not. I have looked up the statistics on this. Approximately one in five people does. 20% of the population. Here's the thing. We don't get an equal distribution of who we surround ourselves with uh, made up of the general population. So those people that do, do fall into the 20% of people that have or suffering from symptoms of a mental illness are probably attracting people to them and being around other people that also have similar problems. I talk about that because I come from the stand-up comedy world where a lot of my friends, almost all the people I know now are stand-up comedians. Um, because uh, I've worked in the entertainment industry, most of the people that I know are also that aren't comedians are in other fields that are in the entertainment industry and people based on their personality types and, and just, just different brain functions and stuff are, are tend to be drawn to different fields, right? That's why they have you take the whole Myers Briggs tests or different, different aptitude tests and placement tests when you're in little school and the counselor's trying to figure out what you're going to do after you get out of little school, right? Uh, because people that are right brained people are more likely to succeed in fields that are, um, I'm not, I'm blanking on the word, but let's say like, uh, more qualitative things. And then left brain people will tend to excel in, uh, quantitative fields, right? Now I'm not saying any of this is like my attempt to define these as hard and fast rules, we're just being gamblers right now. We're playing odds. If you give me a hundred people and you tell me that 50 of them are right brain people and 50 of them are left brain people, the, the actual number doesn't matter. And you tell me, I got to fill out a hundred, uh, no, <laughs> hundred different jobs, 50 mechanical engineering and 50 acting jobs. I'm going to put, all the right brain people in the acting jobs and all the left brain people in the mechanical engineering jobs. And guess what? There will be statistical outliers. Yes. Some people will not excel in, in their given field. Some people would have done better in the other ones. Uh, myself is the one as sort of the arbiter of, of vocations here is playing the odds, trying to put the most people based on, on there. And so that's, that's sort of why I think that you get a lot of people that are suffering from depression and stand up comedy in acting in music. You have people that were looking for a voice, people that were looking for a community, people that were looking to communicate and express something. And the people that excel in these fields 
often had feeling behind what they wanted to say. There have been, again, statistical outlier cases of people that probably just technically knew their field. I don't know, maybe they're just able to write a song without feeling or emotions. But like, why is, why is love song one of the main genres of song you can think of? And not, I'm not talking about like musical genre, but like what other kind of, of uh, life event, emotion, feeling has a whole categorization of music that, you know, is associated with it. Love songs. Are there hate songs? I mean, yes, there are. Um, there's probably mean songs, songs written in hate. One, most of those probably are against uh, people that were former lovers or something too. But also, it's not a term that is so used to the point that it's just entered the the you know casual music listener's vernacular of of like, oh, the, you know, hate song, love song is the only type of I mean, there's, you can talk about like ballads, but that's more talking about the structure of the song. Um, you have the different musical genres, country, pop, rock, rap, but those are more talking about the style. You, you do have a little crossover um, because cause like thematically, and I always, I say this is such an underappreciated thing, rap and country music should basically be the same thing. It's, it's just such a tragedy too that those, those music genres have come to represent like one of the most polarized, uh, you know, opposing demographics in America because there's so much that they share in common. Pretty much the, the big difference is the, the instrumentation of it. Um, the different, the different devices used to make the sounds. And I guess like there's a different beat given for, for, you know, most music genres, but thematically, thematically, they could not be more similar in some ways you could draw parallels in the stories of how those genres of music were created. Those are two groups of, of music musicians that should get along and collaborate more than probably anything else. So what were, were we bringing all of this up for? I was talking, I'm just justifying. It's a super long, super long justification of where I was going to say I am on, uh, the, the grief spectrum because I was saying I was depressed for the last two weeks. I've been depressed for a lot longer. Also, I'm probably not depressed. I've never been depressed. That's what we were saying. The joke I was going to make on social media about it was that I'm so depressed that I've been, I'm at that point where I'm binge watching the Twilight series on repeat, which is partially true. The remainder of the joke was it was going to be, I've been binge watching the Twilight series on repeat, but just New Moon. In fact, not even all of New Moon, just that one scene. And if you've seen it, you may know what I'm talking about. If you haven't dissected it and watched it as many times as I have, you might not. Uh, it is like the most emo, sad boy moment. It's, it's so sad that, uh, yes, the protagonist is a woman, Kristen Stewart playing Bella. And yet I still feel like they should have just had a sad boy, uh, sitting in for her in that moment. The twilight films, you know, I'm a fan, not just a fan, huge fan. I hate that. I'm probably twihard. Is that what they're, they're called? We're called. Anyway, I, I thought that I had watched them all. We've talked about this in a previous episode many times, probably. I thought that I had watched most of them. And then when I sat down to watch them deliberately, realized I had barely watched any of them. And then Nick, who was referenced at the end of this, this, uh, the beginning of this podcast was telling me one time amidst his not 
being the happiest. He's like, hey, bud, you're not happy. I'm not happy. I want to make a recommendation to you. This was earlier this year, I think, back in uh, March or something. I had just gone through a breakup, and I was going through a pretty sad time. And he was like, I need you to watch something. It's going to be amazing. And you're not even going to think I'm being serious when I say this. It's the Twilight films. That's when I sat down. I watched them. They are amazing. Where are we getting at all this? I do want to talk about Silver Linings Playbook. I want to talk about something very important about Silver Linings Playbook. And I want to talk about why Silver Linings Playbook being the world's worst romantic comedy is why Twilight might be the world's best romance series. Okay, now one of the things that I hate, we were talking about uh, genres and things, and, and I really, I get disappointed when people, they do this about music, they're always like, I will listen to anything, I like everything except for country. That is usually not a really well thought out thing. When, when people say that, I know they're usually thinking about like a stereotypical twangy, steel guitar driven, uh, achy breaky heart type country music that, fair enough, you don't have to like it. I'm a big country music fan, but it's, here's the thing. It's a genre and there is a lot of different songs within the genre for somebody to say they don't like a whole genre of music is, is basically, um, it's a really dangerous precedent because there's a lot of, a lot of art within that medium that you may not be familiar with. If you go back into the seventies, the outlaw outlaw countries is some of my favorite towns, Van Zandt, um, is is probably my favorite musician of all the time i'm time uh, guy clark i'm very excited because the documentary of his um is coming out uh streaming for the first time on saturday i can't wait to watch it i've been trying to find it for a long time and it is very hard um so anyway for people to discount a whole genre based on something that they're probably not even super familiar with not even familiar enough to talk about authentically like it's fine you don't have to like country music there's i'm not here to convince people that they have to like country music i just always know that when somebody says i like everything except for country that probably means that they're not very fluent in country if they said i tend to not like country as much then that would make more sense because it would would sort of indicate that maybe they've listened to different kinds and if they don't like it that's fine. But I'm just saying it hurts me when people make the assumption based on what they think it is and dislike it because of uh, what they think it is and not what it actually is. Because isn't that the truth with all genres, right? There's there's probably, you know, somebody who I could, you know, if I, if I was smart about music and I knew every song in the world, I could probably find some song, one song from every genre that somebody likes and one song from, from every genre that people don't like. So it's, it's not smart to make, you know, these generalizations about a whole genre at a time. And the, the way that, that this carries over into books and movies is a huge, huge problem that I have when I hear people say they don't like romance genre movies and books, and they don't like romantic comedy genre and books. Again, the the reasoning for them discounting a whole genre is my problem. If they don't actually like them individually, that's fair. But the big complaint I've heard, and you've probably heard it, you may even make it or say it yourself. Romance genre films give unrealistic expectations about love and relationships. There was a billion think piece articles that came out when Disney's movie frozen came out because it, it involved, uh, I'm, I'm, if I'm remembering correctly, there was a princess who wanted to get married to a prince after a very short courtship period. And they were saying it just sets unrealistic expectations and it's not a healthy portrayal. One, 
that is not necessarily what our media is about. Yes, books, movies, and TVs can be great art and can make us think about things outside our own heads and explore different feelings and thoughts. But here's the thing. You're making an argument that you don't make about any other genre. Tell me which... Let's stick to movies only for a moment, just because the the argument that I'm making applies applicably to all mediums and genres. Tell me which genre does give, you know, like a healthy portrayal of whatever they're portraying, right? Oh, I don't like romance because it gets unhealthy relationship expectations. Okay. Horror? Do horror movies give us realistic and healthy expectations, portrayals about what to do when things that have never happened happened? Uh, The Walking Dead. Let's talk about this one for a second. Any zombie movies, really. Zombie movies and TV. Um, yes, there is an element of realism to the writing. They try to make it, they try to guess how would society react if these fantastical thing happens. But one, let's drop the facade about, uh, just being kids, millennials that'll never grow up. Zombies aren't real. And I know that might be very, very controversial. It's sort of, this is my Dave Chappelle moment of the podcast for me saying, zombies aren't real. They are a real concept. They are a real character from horror mythology. But there is no such thing as a zombie yet. Uh, could there be? That we're not, no, that we don't know of? Maybe. Um, there's definitely been... Scientific stories of, of like zombification niche things. But going off The Walking Dead, there's never been a zombie outbreak in Atlanta. Sure, people have made jokes uh, when whenever there seems to be like a viral trend or people, you know, people like they like doing zombies, sheep, both analogies people like when when they think the masses are all following mindlessly. But but here's the thing. There's no such thing as zombies right now, right? And how popular have zombie movies and TV been? Uh, so every film, no, not every film, most films in the horror genre are probably not, you know, perpetuating healthy ideas about what actual apocalypse would be like. Everybody thinks they know what the world is going to be like when they when it ends and how they're going to react. But isn't that kind of happening right now? Maybe? Is this how we act during the apocalypse? During the zombie apocalypse? It's way more boring. And far more unhealthy. Because we never unify. What's what's the big and best part about every sci-fi, you know, Earth invasion, War of the Worlds, Independence Day type story? Right? Don't don't earthlings start start seeing past their physical differences, their genetic differences, their geographical differences to come together as as a planet of mankind to fight off these foreign invaders? And yet, we're as close to being in a horror movie as we've ever seen, and it feels like we're becoming as divisive and polarized as we possibly can. Social media is the thing that will destroy us. Technology. Yes, AI, uh, you know, is, is becoming a terrible thing, but, like, it's the, the Terminators from the Terminator movies are not robots they are going to take over the world and slave people. They are simply going to be, uh, 
like subscription safety services, right? Like Arnold Schwarzenegger is not going to come back in time to kill that kid. It's more like the parents are going to buy a little robot for their kid. And then all of a sudden the corporation has gotten so big, the robot will kill their son if they don't, you know, keep subscribing to the monthly four ninety nine app function of the, you know, don't kill my kid upgrade that, um, you know, it's advertising. It's advertising that makes us feel like we're not good enough. And like everybody else is doing better than we are. It's the constant media barrage of, you know, unhealthy fitness and beauty standards that people are killing themselves to adhere to. I am. I just got back on the keto diet and I'm very unhealthy. Uh, you know, it is not, I, I know, I know it's working cause I feel physically terrible, uh, looking a little bit better, probably where I got the energy to get up and not, not cancel on this week's podcast. Why would we cancel this week? This week wasn't worse than anything. So we talked about horror. Let's talk about action. Action genre. Does this give healthy portrayals of what action things are like? One, things are not that exciting. Okay. One, uh, I believe it's like 5%. I'm, no, I should have looked this up. I have looked it up in the past, but I don't know it. But like uh, of, of mysteries solved, of crimes that are reported to the police, it's like a quarter of them are solved. Maybe 15% are solved. Not only that, also like courtroom dramas, I believe same. Very, It's either single digits or very low double digits, anywhere between five, uh, 10 to 20% of court cases are criminal. Almost all the others are civil. Almost, like how many episodes of Law & Order all of them are about somebody being murdered and then they most of the time figure out who did it and prosecute them and they go to jail. And then sometimes when they don't, that's the big plot twist and stuff. Uh, how many times does CSI catch the, the bad guys all the time? Do you know what gives unhealthy expectations about what things are? Every single crime drama thing. There's no brilliant. Does anybody know the names of any of the star detectives that caught any of these there? Like, like people know, I mean, they don't know that much anymore because I can't believe how long, long ago it's been. But like the, uh, the Oklahoma city bombers, Terry Nichols and Timothy McVeigh, they were the bombers. Does anybody know who caught them? The FBI, right? It's just the FBI. So why don't they make movies where it's just generic FBI? No, we get, we get Matt Damon. We get Tom Cruise. We get, uh, Matthew McConaughey. Actually, I'm not sure if he's actually ever been, you know, an investigator in the movie, but, um, how cool would that be? That would, there's, there's an idea. Uh, but, but right. So, so we don't have healthy portrayals of action movies, mystery movies. Don't even let me get into thriller movies. We talked about the game a week ago or so last week. Comedies, comedy films. They, we love comedies because they hit on truth, right? Let's go with National Lampoon's Vacation series. The comedy in there resonates from the relatability to, you know, things that everybody can experience, which I would argue is the exact same reason that romance films are huge. Romantic comedy is the number one genre of films. I believe at least it was 20 years ago, 20 years ago. Um, when I was studying that kind of thing and I wanted to be a filmmaker, 
or because uh, like mm. Christmas movies. Has anybody ever experienced a Christmas miracle? Just anything, anything that happens good or, you know, at the Christmas time gets attributed as being a Christmas miracle because that's the only season in which we, we associate good things happening with the season. Plenty of bad things happen too. I think it's like the highest suicide rate of the year. It's right around the holiday season too. Is that a Christmas miracle? Hmm. You, I don't know, but uh, I sure, sure think Christmas movies are are giving false, uh, you know, expectations about that guy. If you leave your kid alone, and he fights off robbers by making a whole bunch of traps, you are in for a world of legal problems when you get back. If he survives, too, honestly. Two, two grown men trying to break into a house being protected by your little kid. Uh, probably, probably not going to turn out as funny and comically as Home Alone did. However, if the kid was killed, if Kevin McAllister died about, you know, 30 minutes into Home Alone... And they never captured the the wet bandits. I guess they'd be the wet murderers at this time. If they never caught them, that would be a realistic movie. So we don't want realistic movies. That doesn't mean they can't be realistic. Can you see where I'm going with this? Exactly, right? So that's why now I'm wondering. Silver Linings Playbook. Is it a romantic comedy? That's the genre that Netflix puts it under. That's a lot of the the genre that a lot of places put it under. It might not be, and yet, and and here's the reason why: because it actually is. Uh, I I feel a very realistic film. We're gonna go. We're gonna go based on that. My feeling, my take. The reason I love it so much is it's very realistic. Does it set unhealthy expectations for for things? Oh, wow. Uh, a guest on to, to talk about this. Write in. If you have a feeling about this, contact me. Let me know if you think it sets, because I think it does, but not, not the relationship part. I think it actually tones down and compresses a lot of the mental health issues that the two main characters are experiencing. Right? So Pat's supposed to be bipolar, um, you know, having huge mood swings between uh, depression and mania. I guess he's, I believe he's type two or something. I read an article on it before, but I, again, this is not a, a researched episode. Um, so yeah, they have a couple moments where he yells at his dad and he throws Hemingway the book out the window and he's searching madly for his tape, and he has a couple violent outbursts and stuff. And then, and then, where's the other half? Where's the other half of the bipolar where he's feeling very positive? Like, yes, he he sort of is verbalizing it to himself. He, I mean, maybe is that is that is that the mania that he? believes that he's going to get back with his ex-wife and he thinks everything is going to be okay and he's blanking out on all the terrible things he did terrible like all the like what he did one thing which was uh assault which is is crime um so that uh but does but does these things change his character so that's what I'm really curious about, right? Does his quote unquote mental illness, is that what is the catalyst for the events that happen in Silver Linings Playbook? Or, because this would be a completely reasonable expectation too in a real world situation, he comes home, he finds his wife cheating on him, he flips out, 
crime of passion. Uh, you know, assaults the, the man that's with his wife, Nikki. Then he goes to jail, goes to court and is sentenced to, um, you know, the, the mental, mental lockup. Uh, that is something that has probably played out plenty of times in actuality in real life. It's not a sweet romantic background for a romantic comedy, but it's very realistic. And then yet this is where, where, what I want to explore with this would going through that not be a justification for his behavior in silver linings playbook. And what I mean by that is I'm saying that anybody that was to go through a traumatizing event like that could, could then definitely follow the behavior patterns that Pat follows through the movie and the book. And the book I think even makes more sense. So we're, we're as the audience are sold this idea that this is a movie about mental health and a character that is that is suffering from from mental illness, and yet I don't know if there's a conclusive diagnosis available based on only his behavior within within the confines of the story timeline. Does this make sense? I'm saying this because I'm I'm saying that like. Yes, he has some ups and downs. He has some depression and mania, but that could just as easily be attributed to the events that happened to him at the beginning of the story. And to instantly say uh, he was suffering from this lifelong mental health issue. Now, I realize it's a fictional story. And so, yes, he is, he is suffering from that. He's been diagnosed. He goes to see a counselor, a therapist who is treating him for it. But in, in the movie, like, okay. So let's pause all of that because that's not even really the point I'm talking about, right? So the, the whole idea that this film gives, you know, is it giving an unrealistic expectation of romance? Or is, or is it actually just suffering from compressing a lifetime of events into a two-hour movie? And like a five hour book. The reason I'm saying all this, right, is because I, I'm very curious about the idea that maybe it's not that romance genre films are setting unrealistic expectations because the writing is failing to do that. You're compressing something that takes a very long journey, story journey, over time that, that you have to compress simply for fitting in the conventional uh, attention span of a contemporary audience. Romance books, uh, uh, Regency-era romance Films and books tend to be a little bit longer than other things. Think about these things, um, right? Like I'm talking about like the, the Jane Austen, the Pride and Prejudice, Sense and Sensibility. Um, these, these movies are long compared to Made in Manhattan, which is short. Also, yes, I re- that is not a current reference. I've never even seen that. I don't know why that was the only thing I could think of maybe because I used to only watch romantic comedies and now I never uh, love actually love actually there's a romantic comedy and a Christmas miracle movie starring the guy not I mean that's starring but the dude from Walking Dead is in that Uh, and so is so is the guy from Star Wars not Harrison Ford uh Liam Neeson, the dude from Star Wars. So, so you, you know, because because love and relationships are things that can take take a lifetime. The story and the beauty of the story, it, you know, it can take a lifetime to play out. Whereas a movie, 
you know, like a war movie or something might, let's say you have a war movie that's about all of World War II, too. Let's even count before the U.S. entered World War II, because there's plenty of war movies. And these are about events that that could take place in a shorter time span than, than a genuine full-on romance story, right? The events of Pearl Harbor, Pearl, the attack on Pearl Harbor was a day. Not even the whole day. It was a tragic day, but it was a number of hours. It was like a half a day, right? Or something. I mean, I'm not here to talk about history, but I'm saying, and they made, you know, so you're only compressing uh, the events leading up to it, which you're able to sort of just give enough that people understand what's going on, but also people sort of know the story, so there's a little historical context. And then the actual attack, and then you have the... Uh, U.S. Uh, doing their counter mission, and you have a love story that is woven into the story of Pearl Harbor, and it was criticized as being not a great movie. And part of it was that the the romance part was ridiculous, and that's part of part of my, my problem. So so pacing wise, I think Silver Linings Playbook might actually be like the world's most perfect romantic comedy for actually setting a realistic expectation for romance because it, it only covers a very short span in actual, you know, the timeline of, of what is portrayed on the movie. A couple months. A couple months is compressed into two hours and you have courtship flirting and the the romantic arc is not that they get married and have babies and live happily ever after you have two people that that don't have any reason to be together sort of don't like each other and then they get to the point where they like each other like honestly like that's it's a very small shift in Scale. It's a very small escalation. Now, do they like each other? They really like each other, like to the point that yes, they are going to get together. Um, but, but the the escalation of flirtation and entanglement, entwinement in in the film, what's covered in the film and or the book, is actually one of the smallest. Well, in fact, most romantic comedies are. If you think about it, what is what is like the the um, you know stereotypical plot for romantic comedy? Well, these two people were terrible for each other on paper. They hate each other, but through a confluence of events, they're going to find out they're perfect for one another, right? So maybe maybe that that in the genre is where you can say that the genre is setting you up for failure. That in real life, people that shouldn't be together shouldn't be together. It may be. So maybe that's the, the unfair thing, but, but you're also then you're not going to have a movie because movies and stories are conflict. Conflict is what creates them. Conflict is what sends all the, the actions in, into motion and stuff. So, why does that mean that Silver Linings Playbook is the world's worst romantic comedy and yet maybe reinforces that Twilight is the world's best romance ever? And there's a meme out there. It's not just like a literal meme. It's just the meme expression joke. People are like, still a better love story than Twilight. That is not fair. I hate that. One, Twilight is the world's best romantic story and we're saying story as in like fictional account of two people falling in love why because and again i hate to say this but there's no such thing as vampires is there there might be i've actually done some so whether vampires exist or not is a separate thing we could have a different discussion on that if you're interested, you might also want to check out the Lore podcast because the, anyway, let's just let's just talk person to person for a second. Grown up, real world 
people taking accountability for their, their emotional experiences and life lessons. People that pay their bills, wake up in the morning, go to work and treat other people. Well, adult to adult. All right. Drop in the screen behind me being a loser millennial. There's no such thing as vampires. There's also no such thing as werewolves. Are there? Maybe. Hmm. Okay. Again, like I said, let's just pretend there's neither of those exist for real right now. Right? How would, how would two people react if, if I don't know, you were in high school and you fell in love with a vampire? Was that a realistic portrayal of what would happen? How it would be? I say yes. The most realistic. They actually have a lot of great, great, it's some of the best portrayals of vampires forever. They have so much background explanation for what is plot holes in other movies. Oh, we move every couple of years. We graduate high school a lot. We have to pretend like we, they explain a lot of, a lot of this mythology in ways that, that make it valid why it would be happening in the real contemporary world right now, right? So you have these two actors and a lot of people think that the casting was terrible and the acting was terrible and everything was terrible about it. And that's why they're the best movies ever. Even the fans sometimes when they're being honest, they say they hate those things, but here's the thing. Have you ever been around high schoolers that, that their hormones are raging? They're flirting with one another. They're falling in love. Uh, no, every other portrayal of young people is setting an unrealistic expectation of what young people are like. Right. I'm going to go with the movie. Can't hardly wait because apparently Carlisle, the dad in twilight was the bad dude and can't hardly wait, which again, really dated movie reference. But, uh, so you go back to a movie like that, which is comedy mostly, maybe kind of a romantic comedy, but it's sort of like a teen romantic comedy drama back from the ancient black and white film days, right? That is not how kids act. The American Pie uh, movies is not how young people act. Maybe when written to be the best version uh, for comedic effect, there are caricatures of who people are. How do people act? Watch, watch Twilight. Watch the first 20 minutes of Twilight. You will see some of the best depictions of what high schoolers are like. Probably. I don't know. It's been a very long time since that. But guess what? I also was a student that had to move halfway through freshman year of my high school. Freshman year of high school. And when I showed up, a lot of the kids act very much like the kids act when Bella shows up at at her high school. The only thing I'm going to say is kind of weird writing. There's, there's a lot of very forced exposition. When she arrives, I almost, the, the only part of the movie I find cringy is the writing of the, of when Bella shows up in high school and every character that introduces themselves is, is forcing the expectation. Hey, you're Bella, right? Plot device, plot device. You're Bella, right? Oh, here's some background information. It's very far. And, and yet, and yet, and yet, is that what people do? We do sometimes. We're put in a situation where everything is new. We explain things. We're put in a situation where somebody new enters our world. We explain a lot of things to them. Uh, the Bella and Edward act super nervous around each other. They can't, can they, they can't figure out, you know, whether they love each other. They hate it. They're, they're way too hyperbolic with every statement they make. Like everything is going to be, you know, for the rest of eternity, not counting the immortality part. Yes. Yes, when kids think that they're in love for the first time, they think that it's going to be forever and wonderful and magical. The first time they get their heart broken, they think it's going to be the end of their life and they'll never ever get over it. 
they acted those characters out exactly like they should have. Now, how would you act if you were, you know, a 118-year-old, 108-year-old vampire? Well, you've probably gone through some of this before, but I think some of this was just a character choice, too, about um, this is the way Edward is going to be portrayed, given his backstory. Maybe he didn't date, or maybe he hadn't fallen in love with other people first. Who kn- I don't know. I haven't read the books. I'm only based off the movie, and I haven't watched the movies that closely. But as far as uh, Chris, Kristen Stewart's portrayal of Bella, perfect. Perfect. Academy, the only person that I've ever, there's two, there's two actress performances that I'm going to say are better than Bella. Bar none in all of time and all of moviedom. Number two, the second best one, better than Kristen Stewart's portrayal of Bella, um, Jennifer Lawrence playing Tiffany Maxwell in Silver Linings Playbook. The number one comes from the same Academy Award year, Kuvanjane Wallace, Beast of the Southern Wild. I will forever think that is one of the best. I don't know. I'm not even going to say actress. One of the best performances of a person acting like a character to somebody else ever, ever, ever. Never seen a better portrayal. That girl should have won every Academy Award for it. If you haven't seen it, go watch that. So, people's criticism of Twilight... One, we're probably going to do a series of Twilight podcasts, specifically, because I've got a lot of things to talk about, and as much as I love... Silver Linings Playbook, the movie, and the Silver Linings Playbook, the book. I think we can tie in a lot of things very similar to to uh, the Twilight series. Are they good? Maybe not. But are they great? Yeah. Yeah, they really are. Even the one that I thought this was the worst one. When I first watched uh, uh, Breaking Dawn Part 2... The conclusion to the, the series is sort of like, what in the world did I just watch? I've watched the whole series several times now. I actually was not exaggerating. I have watched the entire series. All five. I, I say watched. I've had them on or listened to them. Even when I was walking and doing chores, I went to the grocery store and I just had my Netflix app on my phone and I was still just playing through Twilight. Yeah, so I've I've listened and watched the entire series for the last three days. Um, probably going to throw them. I, I say that. I don't know if I've gone through all the movies. Cause sometimes I miss one. I get mixed up. Sometimes I skip eclipse. Sometimes I skip new moon. Sometimes I fast forward through the boring parts. I really, I watch three parts. I watch the baseball scene from twilight. I watched the Bella bang, a sad boy from new moon and I watched all of Breaking Dawn Part 2. It was the worst film of the series, and now it might also be my favorite. Why? Because I think it, it sets very healthy expectations for what would happen if you ever have a half-vampire, half-mortal baby that then infuriates the Volteri Vampire Council, who then comes to kill your baby, and you collect witnesses from all across the globe and have a showdown with them. I think I think they do it in a really realistic way. I mean, based on the fact that I don't know if that has ever happened in real life or not, if it hasn't, if it has, then maybe it was totally different than the way. But anyway, I think it, it was pretty on the nose. So, yeah. Actually, I can't believe we've, we've done it. We, I, 
part of the reason I've been talking about all of this too. Okay, so here's here's where we're gonna get to the. the, the Oh, we bury we bury the the real real parts at the end, but you know what? Like I said, this is my journal. This is, we're gonna get real real honest, right? So I'm starting my second book now. My first book was based on the girl I was dating, right when I started it, um, writing it. I was writing it for her to love me for it, and she broke up with me after the first chapter. Uh, so somehow I finished the book anyway. Now we're starting on the second book, which is going to be based on my more recent ex-girlfriend. Um, which is fine. That's just what it's going to be. Why? And now, now here's one of the things that I, I find Interesting that I was not expecting. I took the first chapter of my book, Queen of the Blood Hunters. I took that to my local public library writing group that I attend, where you can take the first chapter of a book, or or, or any chapter you take you take a writing, uh, you know, excerpt, and everybody critiques it for you. All the group is mostly men, and there's mostly older men. Uh, some of them are like retired or need to be retired and, and stuff. And they all read my, my first chapter and they were like, I knew a girl like this. Oh, this is the kind of girl I would date when I was younger. And part of me wants to be like, one means I wrote it pretty well. I'm not, not trying to be like, Oh, I'm such a great writer. I'm just saying that was the intent. And Clearly, it carried over because I wrote it about somebody that I care about. Here's the thing. These are not revenge novels. I didn't channel my hurt into writing something where I was going to die. I took all the best parts. I took all of my favorite things, all of her favorite things, all of her favorite things, right? That's that's what makes the book a little unique. Anyway, um, yeah, and apparently... By just telling the truth through fiction, it is a vampire romance novel. It is totally different than Twilight. I feel like it's not like Twilight at all. And yet the character is such a real person. I knew how she would react. I knew how she would respond to things. Why? Because I know her. She's a person. And I made her wonderful in the book. The, the, um... Like, I'm not saying I didn't make anybody one five. If anything, I ruin people in real life. Maybe I don't. I probably have no effect on other people. But so, and that's what this next one is going to be. Two, the sequel. I didn't intend it to be this way. I did not ask uh, to have my heart broken to write a book every time. The way I used to get over breakups when, when they hurt, they don't all hurt. Sometimes you're relieved. Um, sometimes you do the breaking up. I would like to do the breaking up one day. No, that was a really sad statement. That was like a Michael Scott from the office type of statement. Anyway, um, yeah, it was not my intent. I used to listen to Taylor Swift albums, but I couldn't be in a relationship until she had at least two albums out because I knew it would take listening to two albums on repeat of brand new Taylor Swift music to get myself over the heartbreak. Uh, now I write a book about it. It was a planned trilogy. I've written the first one. I'm starting on the second one. There's supposed to be a third one. There's also supposed to be two novels that are set in the same world taking place between books one and two and two and three, but that are not chronologically, uh, not saga-cly part of the Bloodhunter series. It's sort of hard to explain. You might understand. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I I need to, to wrap it up because one, we're just about out of time, but also uh, I've been... They can be in the okay about as long as I possibly can. That's right. I'm. I. It's weird when I am sad and depressed. I actually make better life choices for myself. I start eating better. I start 
exercising again. So that's where we are. That's where I am in my grief. And actually the crazy thing is too, and this is the thing we maybe we'll talk about because it's not, my grief actually is not, yes. I know this is quite a thing to throw on at the end. Yes, I am very sad about my ended relationship. That is not, that is not the big thing that is weighing heavy on me right now. In fact, I probably, I'm worried that that, that realization is coming. I am broken up right now. I am getting daily texts, daily WhatsApp messages from my translator in Afghanistan. And he is just pleading with me to help him get to the U S. Um, I'm not sure if he's going to qualify for his visa or it might take too long, but the, the important part to me is not about coming to the U S it's getting out of the country. And so, yeah, I get daily text basically from something that I was nervous about getting myself involved in again, because I had been dealing with issues from when I first came back from it. And I was, and I was torn because part of me wants to help always. I always want to, especially to save somebody's life, especially because I feel like they're his family and his life is at stake right now. And I was all, but I was so nervous because part of the thing I deal with is the feeling that I ruin things, that I'm not able to help people and that sometimes my intervention makes things worse. And so I was, I was nervous and I, I almost did not respond when he first reached out to me and when Afghanistan fell and when people were like, you know, these people need to get out of there. But I couldn't not, I couldn't not do anything. And so now I've done a bunch and maybe next, next week I'll give an update on all the things that I've done because I'm getting so tired, but I've just, I feel like a failure completely with this because I haven't been able to do anything. I've been, I've, I've talked to, to politicians, offices, I've talked to organizations, uh, you know, I've given little updates in the pack. Nobody seems to be able to do anything else. Nobody seems to be able to do anything for us right now. And so I get, I get daily texts. So just imagine that, right? Imagine daily texts that were real. You know what? These action movies don't set real unrealistic expectations that, you know, people, people get helped and saved by action heroes. I'm getting daily texts. Oh, I'm getting daily texts from my, my friend who is a very important person to me, who's somebody that I would do anything for that I have that I basically said, I will reopen this can of worms and let myself experience all these things that I, I thought I had, had at least buried. I didn't think I got over them, but I've buried them. And now, Oh, I have, I have nightmares where I see the faces of the, the people that were killed and, and the things that were anyway, <laughs> but I did. Also, this week I have um, the Atlanta Writers Conference is, is this Friday and Saturday, and I have appointments to give my book pitch to to agents, to literary agents, and get a manuscript critique from an editor that I've submitted it to as well. So we'll see how this goes. Uh, this might change my life. It also might not. I also am not sure if I care one way or the other. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying. And sometimes that's all you can do. I'm trying to be kind, not right. Maybe, maybe I do need to watch this movie again. Silver Linings Playbook. I thought I wasn't ready. I might not be ready. Here's the thing, maybe it's not the movie that, you know, I need, but maybe it is. But right now I'm just going to uh, probably go lay in bed and watch the Twilight series. I'm on the third one right now. New Moon. Anyway, thank you if you happen to listen this week. Uh, we'll be back next week, Maybe. Probably. If I'm alive, we'll, we'll do this next week. Um, if I'm not, we'll still do one next week. Don't worry. I'm going to, well, we'll see. Uh, but thanks for tuning in. 
uh, even though it's probably a mistake on your part or I hate, I hate what that would mean about you to listen to this. I'm sorry. I love you more than I love myself. Now we're going to stay more positive. Things will get better. Will they? We're just rambling now. Anyway, that's all the time we have for, thank you for tuning in. Uh, as always, we'll be here next week with the silver lines. I forgot my outro. I nailed the intro for the first time in 72 episodes. And I don't remember how we outro something like tune in next week for more from the only podcast, blah, something silver linings playbook. Anyway, seriously, I'm glad that you are in this world. Thank you for being a listener and or friend. Until next time, I'll see you down the road and Excelsior. He's kind of crazy. She's a little insane. Keeping energy really messes with his brain. One is the forest. The other's husband is dead. That's why it's so messed up in the head. It's a Silver Linings Playcast. Oh yeah.